this morning is out of John okay naturally maybe John 14 chapter uh, 23 through 29. Jesus answered him. I don't want to sing. This version's sexist. Okay, sorry. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is a busy day, theologically and historically speaking. In the Bible, the numbers 3 and 7 hold great significance, so as I was preparing for this week, I nerded out a little bit at the trifecta of information. This Sunday in the liturgical year is Trinity Sunday. It is in today's scripture that Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit and where much of our understanding of the triune God stems. The history of this weekend, of course, revolves around Memorial Day, a time, often, of grief. The scripture touches there, too. Finally, this weekend is historical in our own denomination, as John John Wesley felt the Holy Spirit wash over him at Aldersgate. These three pieces fit together on this Trinity Sunday. This section out of John is known as the Farewell Discourse. It goes on for several chapters, starting with 13 and going through the end of 17. So when the book of John gets preached in the lectionary, it can seem sometimes like we keep talking about the same thing for weeks. Because, well, we are. Or I am, anyway. You all just kind of sit there while I talk. John 14, where we have today's passage, can be divided into four sections. Verse 1 through 4, of course, the opening verses, the salutation. 5 through 7 focuses on Thomas's question of how we will know the way to where Jesus is going. 8 through 21 focuses on Philip's desire to be shown the Father. And then 22 through 31, 
which, Jesus, which is Jesus' answer to a question that Judas, not Iscariot, asked. Lord, how will you reveal yourself to us, but not to the rest of the world? It is through these questions and through these answers that it becomes clear that this conversation was initially meant just for the disciples. It was, at, at its time, privileged information. Clearly, though, since, clearly, though, since we have the story in our canon, John decided that he needed to break his silence of that last night. There were some upsetting things happening in the Christian world when John wrote this gospel. This book was written in the late 80s or early 90s of the first century, so about 50 to 55 years after Jesus' ascension. John was most likely in Ephesus at the time, and the house churches were being evicted from the synagogues. So the house churches had begun to stake their boundaries, not only to separate themselves from the synagogues, but also from the Roman Empire. It was a time of extreme suspicion and hostility. Conflicts were becoming more frequent, and groups were becoming more intentional in their identities. All of this reminded John of the last hours with Jesus, and so he wrote his recollection of that night to help bring clarity to the people of Ephesus. When we start to examine John's recollection and explanation of Jesus, especially in today's passage, three challenges tend to arise. First, out of Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Advocate. As Jesus attempts to prepare his disciples for his departure, Jesus promises that they will not be alone and that they will continue to learn from the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are confused, mainly because they're really easily confused. I mean, think about it, seriously. Does Jesus mean that the Holy Spirit will have new information? Or just be able to remind and clarify what they have learned from Jesus? Do the disciples have everything set, or will the Holy, or will the Holy Spirit let them in on some of God's thus far unrevealed majesty? Yes. The answer seems to be a pretty emphatic yes. The Holy Spirit that the earth received on the day of Pentecost not only brought reminders of what Jesus had said, and not only clarifying some of the things that some of the things that he had said, but it also opened our eyes to new things. John Wesley knew this feeling very well. For those that might not know, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement in the early 18th century. John, along with his brother Charles, and you all know how I feel about Charles, and their friend William Morgan, gathered each weekend at Oxford University to discuss, among many things, scripture. The term Methodist was actually meant to be a diss from the other boys on campus, because Wesley's, the Wesleys and Morgan were so strict in their ways. Oi, there go those Methodists. Ooh, sick bird. To make a long story short, John became an Anglican priest who struggled for many years to find his place in the Church of England. He would go into grand places like St. Paul's Cathedral in London and feel absolutely nothing. But on May 24, 1738, about a quarter before nine in the evening, 
he felt his heart strangely warmed. Wesley wrote in his diary that after he had been to a society meeting at the Aldersgate Church, the Holy Spirit came into him, and his understanding of Christ and of Christ's teachings became quite clear. From that time, although he still encountered some significant obstacles, John Wesley grew his society and preached his new clarity of salvation. The second challenge of the farewell discourse has caused conversations for centuries of, what did he mean by that? Jesus talking about going back to the Father and the arrival of the Holy Spirit are what started the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. But the idea is not cut and dry because Jesus used the word greater, which really could mean many things, especially by the 4th and 5th centuries. The essential point of the Trinity is three equal parts, all divine, none more significant than the other. God in heaven, God on earth, God in spirit. Early church fathers like Basil the Great and John of Damascus spent their lives deciding whether there could really be a hierarchy and still be equal. This debate still exists among Christians. But on this day, we celebrate God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. The third challenge is that of the other Judas's question. Why do only Christ's followers see him for who and what he is? Jesus doesn't necessarily clarify this when he says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Okay, so then is human love for God a choice? Why do some love God and others don't, or at least fail to perceive? Would a loving God design things that way? These questions that stem from this small section of scripture have haunted theologians and Christians forever. But really, Jesus' words offer a starting point. That if his followers start to live out love by keeping his word, the world will begin to see. Faithfulness in our actions lead to a first-hand experience of the divine presence within us. Once we are on the path to Christ, we can invite others to join. The way to knowing God is to live the word of Jesus, which will, with the guidance of the Spirit, lead to living a life experiencing not only the love of Christ, but of the one who sent him. This passage also brings up the knowledge that soon Jesus will not be with his disciples. The realities of separation and death become vivid through this passage. John 14, after all, is a scripture that is very often chosen for a funeral service. Although most of us probably don't remember the very first time our parents left us, many of us may remember being left early on with a caretaker or perhaps the first day of school. I remember very vividly when mom and dad left my brother and me at our grandma's house. And I cried and cried as I watched them from grandma's second story apartment window, standing on the baseboard heater and pulling myself on the sill. They just got into the van and drove off. Though I'm pretty sure I saw them high-five each other. (laughs) 
but it was seemingly they were never to return, leaving us with this gentle, but honestly somewhat crazy woman. I was convinced to my very core that I would never see them again. Although a three-year-old's reaction to her parents leaving her is slightly different, the disciples surely felt the anxiety of having been left behind. Even as we still celebrate the Easter season, a season filled with hope and with life, we are reminded of the very real presence of grief. It's Memorial Day weekend. And we are reminded of the, and we are excited for time off, for hot dogs, campfires, maybe if we're lucky, some time at the lake. But we are surrounded this weekend by the reality that as of April 2017, this country had suffered no fewer than 651,000 battle deaths since 1775, with another 18.6 million dead who served in uniform for the United States and the colonies. Now, obviously, for many of those people, no one alive has a memory of them. But they are and were still important to us. They were someone's father, someone's mother, husband, wife, brother, sister. Even through celebrating, grief can cast a shadow. The shadow is even greater for those that we do have memory of. Though there is no timeline for grief, she seems to play by her own rules. Jesus offers us reminders of when the grief truly takes over, for when the grief really takes over. Jesus does not say, do not be sad. Because the disciples, of course, were going to be sad, just as Jesus wept over Lazarus. When we grieve, we are sad for plans that won't turn out, for lives cut short, for a connection to a person that was so unfairly ripped away. Sadness is part of grief. What Jesus wants us to re- wants for us is to rem- is to remain hopeful, to know that through our grief and our sadness, we should not worry about what will become of us. Through our grief and beyond, the Holy Spirit will be here with us as Christ is with us, showing us the way through the darkness. Jesus does not say, do not be sad. When we fight our sadness or when we allow ourselves the fear and anxiety, we often reach out into some unfortunate coping mechanisms, most of them rather unhealthy. I know I certainly do. But the peace of Jesus Christ has come to us through the Holy Spirit. This peace wipes out the fear and the anxiety. The peace that Jesus gives is nothing less than the presence of God. When God is present, peace is there also. Peace is a gift that bands together love, forgiveness, reconciliation, and thanksgiving. When we put our trust into the peace, love, and grace of our creator, freedom from anxiety and fear becomes possible. How, though, can we even pretend to hear God if we refuse to quiet our own minds and stop listening to the world around us? The Holy Spirit will teach us everything and remind us of everything that Jesus said to his disciples. 
we have help in keeping Jesus' words. As Jesus departed, the Holy Spirit arrived. And as Jesus is reunited with God, we will be connected to the Spirit. The peace of Christ has been given to us, but we must quiet our minds and trust it. God the Father, this part of the Godhead characterizes a relationship with someone who delivers love, provision, and welcome. God the Son, shared our humanity, showed us through his own life how we should live, and through his death, the love and devotion of God, and his resurrection, victory over death. God, the Holy Spirit, teacher, reminder, advocate, helper, companion, comforter. The Spirit expects and sees the best in us. It brings Jesus into the 21st century. The one who sent Jesus made the word flesh, also sent the Holy Spirit to remind us. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Amen.